Hello and welcome to MFX. I'm Shivam Tibrivala. And I'm Rajal Moxie. This is where we bring you progressive marketing content. Through conversations with thought leaders, academics and industry professionals. Oriol Iglesias is currently an associate professor and head of the marketing management department at Asadi. He stands at the vanguard in progressive marketing, being a member of several leading global marketing and brand entities. His research has been published in many top international academic journals, such as the California Management Review, the Journal of Business Ethics, Industrial Marketing Management, and the European Journal of Marketing. He has consulted and developed custom in-company training for worldwide leading firms across various sectors, such as Porsche, Telefonica, HP, Nestle, and PwC. His latest book with co-author Nicholas Ind is titled Brand Desire, How to Create Consumer Involvement and Inspiration. Published by Bloomsbury, it provides an illuminating insight into the six main drivers that make people desire brands. The book is available through Amazon, Apple Books, Bloomsbury, and Google Books. Well, Oriol, it's fantastic to have you on our show. Thanks for coming in. Uh, let's get started. So my pleasure. I'm looking forward to, to this very exciting conversation together with you. So uh, the main uh, idea of having you on was to cover this very famous book that you've written called Brand Desire. And uh, we're going to speak more about it. But my first question to you was, uh, how did you become interested in, in you know, marketing as a subject and why did you want to teach it? Yeah, well, uh, this is a good question. Uh, when I studied, I studied uh, at Esade, at, at the business school where I'm uh, teaching. And uh, I decided to join, in fact, because I had always been passionate about creating something uh, new. And uh, my ultimate goal was on how to become an entrepreneur. Yeah? Uh, and uh, yeah. in order to become an entrepreneur, I understood that uh, marketing was uh, something key. So this is why when I, I did my baccalaureate, I studied uh, the, the BBA in, in business administration. And I, then I, I, I did my specialization in marketing. And, uh, yeah, and this was what led me to the professional world, uh, first in multinational companies and then uh, at the end, uh, also becoming uh, an entrepreneur for a few years before deciding to suddenly switch your life. No, uh, <laughs> I did the PhD for fun. I started teaching and I said, oh, this could be also interesting. And then moving uh, finally to academia. Now, moving on into the book, the book obviously, you know, written by you and uh, Nicholas Ind covers brand desire as uh, in general. So what is brand desire and why is it so relevant today? And do you think that simply being a brand with the conscience that you have, do you have brand, do you get achieve brand desire? These are two different questions that can be combined, don't, don't worry. Uh, so going for the, for the first one, um, uh, we, were, we wrote this, this book because of, of, of two reasons. Uh, the first, because uh, on one side, uh, a few of the most uh, relevant brands in Spain in fast-moving consumer goods approached me a few years ago and asked me, okay, we would like to understand what are the key drivers of brand value? How can we build value for customers and then uh, also be captured of capturing this value no? as a company, as, as an organization through uh, building strong brands? No? And what should be the drivers that we should be investing on? And later on, a few of the biggest brands also in the service sector asked, asked, asked me the same question. So I put together a study no? to try to understand this a bit. 
At that moment, there was also a, a very influential book uh, called How Brands Grow by Ryan Sharp that basically demonstrates that the key grow to work, to, to grow in a, the key way to, uh, or the key reason to, to grow in a, in a category is by increasing penetration. Okay, and basically this is about investing in communication to, you know, to generate saliency, uh, awareness, to uh, invest heavily in distribution and, and sometimes in price promotions. Okay, and I, I agree. And in fact, uh, some of the data that I had been working on was also in this direction. But this is only explaining part of the picture. I mean, gaining market share is relevant, but sometimes you also want to jump to other categories, no? to be capable of extending the brand. And of course, I want to grow in market share, but I also want to be capable of conveying a premium price no? and to have good margins to generate profitability. So we put together this study together with Nicolazin, and we researched uh, more than 5,000 brands across uh, 45 categories in, in, in the goods context and across eight categories in services for a series of years. And basically, at the end, what we discovered is that there's two key drivers for brand profitability and for creating a strong brand. One is, of course, what we call uh, brand pressure, and brand pressure is about uh, acquiring penetration you know, on a given uh, category through salience, visibility, awareness, uh, intense weight distribution. But in parallel, uh, you need to also be investing in what we call brand desire, in making this brand meaningful from an emotional perspective to your potential target, because this is the only way at the same time to be capable of building uh, uh, premium pricing, capable of uh, sustaining uh, your margins, and capable of being capable also later on to be extending your run uh, to some other uh, categories. Yeah? So at the end, the key is to combine these two dimensions, but we thought that the first one on pressure is quite obvious. The second one has not still been studied how, how to achieve it. So we were interested in understanding how to be capable of building this desire that can lead to this emotional customer engagement and to this uh, capacity you know, to be capable of, of also having a good positioning, a good margins, a good profitability, and uh, also long-lasting engaging relationships with uh, your customers. And that's great. And, and just to our listeners, uh, in, in the book, Brand Desire, written by Oriol and Nicholas, uh, they definitely go and dissect this um, a bit more with the framework talking about uh, laggards versus niche um, pressures, uh, high brand pressure, and then um, desirable brands. And, and they go more in detail in that into the book. Um, but Oriol, uh, it's also very clear that people identify with brands. Um, but at the same time, there's been studies out there that shows that if um, 70, 77% of brands were to disappear, that consumers wouldn't care, right? And that's a very controversial topic. So my question from that is, why do brands exist? Um, and why should companies focus on building brands if only the upper echelon, I guess, is going to be able to maintain a sustainable presence? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the key thing here and what we try to also understand uh, in the book is, okay, how are brands doing uh, when investing in these two dimensions of pressure and desire and depending on the combination of how do you invest, know what is going to be the, the final outcome. No? And as you were saying, in line with some other studies, as the, as the one that you're mentioning about meaningful brands, no? uh, what we observe is that unfortunately, 
a vast majority of the brands in the, in the market have scores in uh, both brand design and brand pressure, which are much lower than the average of the market. And this is making uh, a very significant uh, portion of them to disappear you know, because they are not relevant. Uh, however, at the same time, what we also observe is that those brands that are capable at the same time of investing successfully in pressure and desire are the brands that uh, achieve to grow sustainably uh, with uh, good margins and that are also the brands that at the end up become much more profitable. You know? uh, a brand at the end is a driver of differentiation. If you have a strong brand, uh, what you're achieving is to generate a certain competitive advantage when compared to your competitors. You're also capable of achieving a deeper customer engagement and this is going to be uh, helping you also to be capable to extending uh, to new products and, and categories with uh, a good margin and with profitability. That's what we want to build strong brands. The problem is that uh, most companies do not invest adequately on the dimensions required to build these very strong brands. That's why in the book we discuss the need no, for these two dimensions, the, 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 the pressure, but of course also the desire. Well. Another key question here is how, how can brands sustain brand desire, right? Brand desire can be termed as a feeling that can vanish, can disappear from a consumer. We, we, we've seen that. So how can brands constantly sustain this? And you also men, mentioned in your book that brands need to be ambidextrous, right? Mm -hmm. uh, can, can you relate that to some uh, examples, real life examples of companies as well that have managed to do this? And, and is there an end? Is, is, is uh, you know, building brands a me, uh, means to an end in a, in a certain way? Is it, is yeah. it cyclical? Is right? it? Is it cyclical? Yeah, is it cyclical? Exactly. Uh, this is uh, excellent. I mean, uh, two questions again. The first one, yeah, we think that it is possible to sustain desire as long as you invest in the adequate dimensions no? to, to, to build and nurture desire. And we basically propose that uh, these dimensions are first to have a very clear set of guiding principles you know, that make the brand perceived as authentic. You know? uh, then it is also very important to have a story building. This is a, a meta-narrative that is uh, very well aligned with these principles, uh, which is leveraging on the heritage of the company, but projecting also the company to the future and all the different storytelling activities. You know? Are aligned and nurture this, uh, this meta narrative. And then, brands should also, in third place, should have also very consistent and, and valuable experience across all the different uh, touch points. To do that, it is very important also that they become very, very innovative. And, and we sustain also that they need to invest every time more in a certain type of uh, approach to innovation, which needs to be very collaborative. You know, we think that co creating with customers uh, together with them trying to achieve, to develop new products and services, but also involving them in defining the, the strategy and engaging them also through social networks is every time becoming more key. And finally, we also believe that you cannot do that without building the, the proper supportive culture because at the end, the identity is something aspirational. The reality of any organization is the, the, the culture. No? And as uh, Peter Drucker was, was saying, culture is strategy for for breakfast, no? <laughs> uh, having, having said that, and being these the, the pillars to build a very desirable brand, when trying to build a, a very strong brand, managers need to understand that at the same time, they need to try to have a focus in the present, but also in the future. No? This is what I call ambidextrous 
managers, uh, the capacity to understand how to manage at the same time the present and the future. Why? Because any brand, any business, if it wants to be capable of growing profitably and sustainably over time, first needs to be very efficient in the present. And you cannot only be efficient if you have a very clear focus. And the focus is always given by the brand identity that tells you and it's going to tell you what you should do, what you should not do, where you should invest, where you should not invest in line with your values that give you credibility and your distinctive competences that give you your competitive advantage. And you should be using these cashes that you're generating in the present to invest in future potential profitable growth through innovation. Yeah? And that's why you need to be somehow managing two different waves yeah, of categories and innovation at the same time. This is, for instance, what car companies should be doing right now uh, when trying to cash the combustion engines no? uh, category while at the same time being building the, the electric vehicles. No? So for any brand to become uh, really profitable, uh, the key at the end is to manage uh, the brand, taking into consideration this temporal perspective. Which are those categories where you're competing, which are mature and that you want to cash through efficiency and through a good focus that can only be driven by the brand identity? How do you ensure that you use these cash flows to generate future growth so innovative developments also aligned with your identity credibility and distinctive competences to ensure this future growth of course then the, the key question is sometimes you need to develop some additional capabilities and competences and to do that many times you need to open up the organization and, and, and acquire them through co-creation with different partners and and i i really love that answer because in all of it, it explains it as, as a seamless process, uh, almost a well-fueled engine, um, but only once, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but only once you would have carefully um, and intentionally curated your brand, right? That, that's the most important part, the values of your brand and, and making sure that your brand identity is something that has the potential for growth and growth over time because we see now a lot of brands for example uh that are trying to adapt um to the changing times but simply i guess haven't been created in the way to be able to adapt yeah i think that what most people don't really understand is that identity is the first fundamental decision strategic decision that any company should take and this is what should drive all the different strategic, uh, all the later strategic decisions and all the later uh, and different actions that the company is going to undertake. Uh, and that the, most of the key issues and problems that companies are facing have to do with what we call the, the dilution of the identity, forgetting about what's the heritage identity of the organization, what are the foundational values and how they have been developing over time, what are the distinctive competences that have a lower company to build a certain competitive advantage and to become successful. And when identity is forgotten and is diluted, this is going to cause a, a very significant array of problems. Because if you don't have a, a clear identity, whenever you start exploring future growth options, you are going to explore them only taking into account their uh, attractiveness. No, they can be more or less attractive options. But if uh, an option for growth is very attractive, but you don't have the credibility in terms of values to pursue that uh, option for growth and you don't have the required distinctive competences no, to go for this growth option, 
uh, you are not going to be capable of sustaining no? uh, your competitive advantage, you're not going to be capable of sustaining your budget, and you're going to suffer. Of course, if you just pursue one growth option, which is far away from your core, which is not leveraging on your identity, nothing happens, but at the moment that you start investing every time more and more growth options, which are far away from your core, at some moment you will create a portfolio that is too complex, not leveraging on your core uh, capacities, core competences, and credibility, and this is going to start generating a lot of trouble. And you can see this in companies that they are, have been successful in the past, they grow a lot because they use their cash flows to grow a lot, expand and diversify no? their portfolio of categories and, and products, but suddenly somehow they don't understand why their top line is growing, but their bottom line no, is decreasing heavily. And this is because they are having their margins being eroded because their uh, competitive advantage is not uh, any more strong. And this is the case because they are not leveraging on their identity and their values and distinctive competences. This has happened to many companies, to Adidas, after Adidas died, when the company started to diversify very much uh, uh, very far away from the core and without leveraging on their competitive uh, distinctive competences. This happened to Apple when uh, Steve Jobs first left the company. This happens to, to Burberry. And all these companies at some time, moment in time, they have realized that in order to regain competitive advantage, the first thing that they should do is to supply what I call and what we define in the book as a back to the future strategy. You should go back to the past, understand where you're coming from, no? what are those core values that have been giving you credibility, what are those distinctive competences that have been the, the, the core of your competitive advantage and, and leverage again on that. And look to future opportunities through the lens of this identity. And whenever you find opportunities for future growth align with future trends that match these values and distinctive competences is when you have really a real important uh, opportunity for, for the future. This is what, for instance, Barbie has done uh, very recently by reconnecting with their purpose no? uh, to, 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 yeah. to help uh, little girls to, 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 to dream about what they want to become in the future uh, in line also with the, the, the trend that we have uh, for more uh, women empowerment, more, more uh, gender uh, equality, etc. Et et yeah, I think, I think those are very key points, especially with the back to the future strategy. And it definitely leads to you know, when, when companies sort of diversify, as you mentioned, they sort of dilute their brand, especially if they don't diversify into products that match their brand identity. And it's definitely something that brands should consider before they sort of diversify instead of just looking at the money amount of money that they can make. And moving on to a topic for, for new brands, right? Today's uh, generation, you know, you're seeing a lot of brands disappear, a lot of brands emerge. Uh, however, one thing remains is, is the consumer wants and the consumer, consumer desires, which are becoming super fast, aggravating, right? They have so many options today. Uh, they can choose, they can make complaints. They have so much visibility. Uh, this makes it obviously more, uh, this proliferates brand, you know, the number of brands, right? Uh, the number of brands are increasing. It's becoming increasingly hard to make consumers aware of yourself. What can new companies do today to differentiate themselves in terms of, from a branding perspective? Yeah, I think that it is true what you're saying, that we are living in a, in a market which is uh, extremely crowded, uh, extremely uh, competitive, especially in, in developed countries, no? and where customers have uh, a lot of, of, of options. 
uh, which is not necessarily good, meaning you know, when customers have too many options, what we know from research is that they get confused, confused and they, they, they tend to, to buy less. You know? uh, so I think that for uh, brands to become successful in this very crowded and I would say also a very noisy environment with a lot of brands communicating and, and sending messages is uh, extremely important, even more than, than in the past, to have a, an extremely clear focus, meaning uh, you need to be very, very sure about what's your identity, what's your value proposition, no? what's your point of difference, no? what really is going to set you apart from the competition in line also with, with customers' expectations. And, uh, and, uh, and again, uh, for me, the, the, the understanding of the strategic relevance of identity is something which is, which is key. On top of that, I think that customers every time also are going to uh, value more those brands that not only are obsessed with profits, but that want to combine profits with purpose no? somehow, and that they are aiming at, while building a profitable business, also trying to make a, a positive transformative impact in the world. Uh, think about the Patagonians no? of, of this world, that uh, they of course want to build a profitable business uh, around uh, outdoors, no? uh, uh, clothing, for instance, but that they have as their, their main purpose to uh, to provide a solution to the environmental crisis, no, uh, of, of, of that the world is facing. So I think this is also a very clear trend. We are finding a lot of challengers brands, a lot of small brands that are challenging the, the traditional way that uh, top players are, are playing. We're also finding some big companies, as for instance uh, Danone, no, or Unilever in MCG also switching their approach to business and trying to become much more uh, conscientious. And I think that in this very crowded uh, environment, uh, every time more of those brands that are capable to truly embracing you know, a more conscious approach to business are going to be the ones succeeding. Maybe the, 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 the last reflection to make here is also that the, the, the vast majority of brands are competing at the product level, no? launching more products in a given category, which is already uh, very crowded and this is a, a very tough way of competition. I think that the brands that are going also to succeed and become relevant are those brands that are being capable to create new categories, no? new uncontested marketplaces that they create from scratch and that they are capable to, to make grow because either of uh, a new technology or a new set of distinctive competences that they have developed which are capable of offering many more additional functional and emotional benefits to, to customers. You can think about Netflix, you can think yeah, about Airbnb, you can find, think about all the brands that are capable of creating new, new categories. Awesome. I think, I think this was a fantastic sort of uh, closure to the, the segment. And we're moving on to the next segment, which, is, uh, which we call the rapid fire round. Uh, so here we just ask you, personal questions, but they're not too personal as in, uh, you know, uh, that can sort of uh, make they're you safe. feel uncomfortable. But, safe but questions. Very safe questions. <laughs> so, Rishal, do you want to start um, with the first Yeah, one? so first question, uh, favorite brand and why? Yeah, my favorite brand, I would say uh, Patagonia is one of those, uh, for sure, because of this social conscience, uh, Tony Chocolonde Ole, also chocolates. And Molestine uh, is a brand that I like a lot. And I opened the brand desire book with this brand because I think that it's uh, hardly desirable because it's a very sensual brand that uh, allows me to, to be very introspective, no? Uh, that combines very well heritage and, and, and future because they, they also have a lot of very interesting digital applications 
So this is also a brand that's very desirable to me. Yeah, I uh, just um, in the book, Brand Desire, for our listeners, uh, Oriol really explains uh, in, a, in a beautiful way why he likes the brand Moleskine a lot. I won't, I won't ruin it for you guys, but it's, it's definitely <laughs> worth a read on that. A brand that you think is doing things right current, currently? Uh, Randa, I like very much, and I think that it's moving extremely well. Currently, it's done on the French dairy company because with the CEO Emmanuel Faber, they decided that they wanted to become the first enterprise emission in French, which is a new category of brands uh, that they need to have a, a purpose, a transformational impact, non financial metrics. Uh, they are also trying to become the, the largest big corporation in the, in the world. Uh, and they are really, really, really shaking the way business uh, needs to be conducted in FMCG uh, in a much more conscientious uh, approach. And they are also engaging a lot the different stakeholders of the organization in, in co-defining the strategy of the company for the future, their uh, sustainable goals, etc., etc., etc. So I think that nowadays is one of the benchmarks to any uh, other business to really understand how even if you are a very big, big brand, you can really uh, take this commitment, no, uh, fully embrace it, and uh, make uh, a very significant impact in trying to change the way businesses are, are being run. Yeah, fair. Uh, building into that, I think the next question is, what do you think will be the most successful brand in five years? It can be a new brand, a brand that you've you know seen. In- don't don't give them answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that this is a, this is a, a good one. This is a, a, a difficult, a difficult, a difficult one uh, because uh, I can think on several in several in- industries, but this is going and for sure one brand that is going to become even more successful at least in the next five years. Then more in the future can have a trouble is Amazon, no? Amazon, I think, is becoming the brand, but at the same time, in the midterm, I foresee trouble you know, because mm-hmm. of a too dominant monopolistic situation, which I don't know if it's uh, desirable enough. You know? So that's for sure a brand that I think that uh, it will. Um, uh, I mean, Apple has been like the dominating brand you know, on the last uh, decade. I think it's going to be, become the dominating brand you know, uh, on, on, on the next one. Although I, I, I foresee some, some, some trouble, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the midterm, uh, let's say. Fair, fair. Um, just a segue away from all of the marketing, actually. <laughs> if you had uh, a choice of an alternate career, what would it be? Uh, the one that I'm pursuing. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I consider myself to be very fortunate because I, I can combine uh, academic research and get excited with with new knowledge and, and ideas exposed to, 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 to interesting people together with teaching and, and, and discussing a lot of things with students of different ages and uh, somehow uh, sometimes also helping companies no to 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 to, to build brands and more conscious approaches to business and I combine that also with my presence in something tax no where uh, I mean we, we we try to get the inspiration and to 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 develop like frontier thinking so I think this is a uh, a very nice uh, career and I don't have any other aspiration than to, to enjoy it. Awesome. Uh, and uh, the, I think the second penultimate question uh, is, uh, what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby is uh, sports. Yeah, I love okay. uh, uh, mountain biking. I love uh, uh, 
playing basketball. Uh, hey. This is uh, my favorite sport together with, with reading. I think that uh, that reading is uh, also a passion for me. I always have uh, three uh, books on my next to my bed and I read the three of them uh, each night. Uh, one is always a book uh, that has to do with management, with, with business, with marketing. Another one always has to do with, uh, with science, technology, no history, sociology, and, uh, and the last one is a, is a novel. And I usually combine the three of them, usually during one hour each night before going to, to sleep. So that's also a, a very important hobby for me. And, and, and the third one uh, would be also socializing with friends, having nice dinners, with nice conversations and nice food. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The three book approach. Yeah, I think I mean, we should... We should take that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really I good one. Yeah. yeah, and also uh, uh, Bart, you know, he was in the previous interview. He mentioned that you guys played paddle together. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but, but I'm much better at him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, and then, so last question, um, just what's next for Oriol Iglesias? Well, now uh, I think that I'm uh, starting a lot of uh, very exciting uh, projects, and one of them is going to be a, a new book. We just signed the, the agreement yeah, uh, very recently uh, with Palgrave, and uh, yeah, I think that is going to be an interesting book that people will enjoy. Uh, I'm not going to disclose much more for the moment. Uh, <laughs> we have, I think, a, a nice title, and uh, basically we're going to understand uh, and we're going to try to explain how uh, brands should move toward more conscientious approaches to business and how they can build profit while being uh, also purposeful. Yeah? Uh, so this is what uh, I'm now working heavily on and I hope that uh, soon we'll be able to, 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 to launch a, a new interesting book. Well, that's amazing, Ariel. Uh, thanks for an amazing um, conversation on a topic of not just marketing, but brands and brands with desire. Um, and we will have the link to your book that you and Nicholas wrote uh, in the description of the podcast. And for our listeners out there, with all the sneak peeks we have, we'll be updating you with Ariel's new book when that comes out. Awesome. Thank you very much both for a very interesting and exciting conversation. Good luck also with the podcast. And uh, yes, uh, I encourage all, all your uh, listeners to keep on uh, engaging with, with this very interesting issue. Uh, thanks a lot, Oriol. It was wonderful having you on board. Mm-hmm.